All right, read into that whatever you will. That is uh, Boys to Men Holiday Music, Let It Snow, featuring Brian McKnight, 2020 Holiday Edition. This is North and Goal. I am Benji. I am the BYU host. I am podcasting to you live from North Pole, Alaska. With me, as always, is Jake. I am Jake. I am Jake Johnson, or I'm actually Salt Lake Jake on Twitter. I've been the Mighty Alaskan Ute on Twitter. I am the Utah Utes fan version of our uh, host of our, our podcast, and I'm podcasting live from our Bountiful studio in Bountiful, Utah, as the snow falls outside. So we, we tried to come up with a holiday festive song in uh, in our pre-planning show, and that's what we came up with, right? That's right. That's right. Thank you to our producers, by the way, for springing for the dual studios. You know, a lot of podcasts have to broadcast from one place, and uh, yep. they they looked at us as worth it to uh, have redundant microphones, laptops. I mean, studios 3,000 miles apart, and uh, worth yep. it. Worth it. Built it, they built it out for us, and here we are bringing you the luscious sounds and uh, thoughts of Utah BYU football, right? Yeah, that's right. All, all day, every day, all week. This rivalry never sleeps sometimes, and some people don't like that. Some people say, oh, man, we got to give it a rest. we got to stop with the, uh, the pissing matches all the time, and I get that. Sometimes it can be a little bit uh, overwhelming and tiring, but you know what? That's what brought so many people together, and, and I will contend – Till my last breath, there is more good than bad in the rivalry. In fact, this is something I want to write up and, and publish somewhere. I'm curious about how many rivalries in the nation bring about as much good as this one does. You know, and I'm thinking about the time like when a, a Ute fan tried to back out of a bet and everyone called him on it from both fan bases. You know, the Utah fans and the BYU fans were saying, come on, man, you, you got to own up to it. And it turned into this fundraiser, and all of a sudden you got $20,000 to fight cancer. And that's some cool stuff. And you see things like that yep. come out of this rivalry all the time. And I'm curious about if that's normal or if we're the exception. I would be interested in that, too, because the problem is we're, we're so consumed in our microcosm of Twitter that we don't observe the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry. You know, mm-hmm. Maybe there is a faction of fans there that, that can get along and raise money for causes. Who knows? But whether that whether it happens with other fans or not, it's cool when it happens with us. And it's been more it's been dude, there's there's several I can think of off the top of my head where stuff like that has come up, right? Absolutely. And people have made bets or, or or raised money for their rival. I mean, I remember when Dave Rose got diagnosed with stomach cancer, there was a bunch of Ute fans that raised money to be donated to that cause. Um, you guys have, have, have done the same for other reasons with you fans, and it's been it's been a lot of fun, man. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's one of our guys out there, shout out to my man Jason Polson, awesome, awesome dude, um, had a daughter that passed away of cancer, Ashton, last year, and in her honor, he flew a Ute fan out to uh, a bowl game and paid for it. Yeah. Um, or, or the Pacto or the one of the two, Pacto Championship game. Shout out to my man, Dr. Jason Polson. You, sir, are a shining light, an example of good in the world and what's good about this rivalry. So shout out to you, my friend. Absolutely. And, and what it feels like the bad outweighs the good, you're just not looking in the right places. Because I, we all feel like that sometimes. Sometimes those voices from the opposing fan base just get so overwhelming and it can be it can be tiring exhausting especially this time of year this part of the season it feels like it when it's uh everything has to be apples and oranges about who's doing better yep. or which win was more impressive or whatever but there i'm convinced there is more good than bad there is good and you know what it's not only that it, it, it two people one person can display both right you can have someone who's 
who's a great person, does a lot to help out, but also gets caught up in like a disagreement about right recruiting or games, or whatever. And if you can just look past the fact that it's just sports you're arguing about, you can see the good in so many people, right? Absolutely. And I mean, I'm guilty of it. I am guilty of getting in, in sports fights and I still do, but I, I feel like I've one toned it down from how bad I used to be, but two, you know, just, just arguing about sports is not, it's not at the end of the day, we're all human beings. We're all trying to do the best we can. Right. For sure. Absolutely. We got a ton of stuff to talk about today. So we've got both teams had games. Both teams are looking forward to games coming up. And uh, in the middle of this all, we've had National Early Signing Day, which I lose track of. We've got Early Signing Day, Normal Signing Day. I mean, it seems like recruiting season just never ends, and I can't keep up with it. It never ends. But some excitement around recruiting that we're going to talk about a little bit. So uh, we can just kind of jump in wherever. We uh, we are let's, the. Let's pick up with the games, man. Let's start right. right at the games that happened this last week. We'll start with the Ute first because usually, as you know, we've been talking about BYU games because there haven't been very many Ute games. Right. So let's, let's jump in with the Ute games. So we had our big, heated, storied rivalry game this last week. The Rumble in the Rockies. Oh, man. Just saying it gives brings me chills, man. The, the, the history with these, these buffs. I just can't stand these guys. Um, anyway, we had our game against Colorado. Colorado, as I mentioned last week on our podcast, was 4-0. We're ranked 21st in the playoff rankings. And people were talking about them. Oh, they could win the South. What happens when they beat Utah and USC wins? And then we got two undefeated teams. And the whole time, I just shook my head. SMH, as they say on Twitter. <laughs> I shook my head because I knew Colorado was a bit of a paper tiger and not as good as their record indicated. I looked at the scores, and they had beaten, obviously, every team they played because they were 4-0 and undefeated. But they had beaten barely uh, by one score, most of them. In fact, they had beaten Arizona, who is the trash of this conference this last year. I mean, they haven't won. They have a 12 game losing streak. They are the trash of this conference and they beat them by a, like 10 points. I think it was not very impressive at all. And so I just knew they were overrated. Right. And, uh, Utah started to kind of hit their stride against Oregon state the week before we went in first drive of the game. And it was, it was typical. I mean, terrible December Colorado weather. The field was white. The stands were white. It was cold. First drive. We moved down the field, and lo and behold, Jake Bentley throws a beautiful uh, crossing or a, kind of a skinny post slant po- uh, route at the at the goal line for a touchdown to Solomon Enos. Solomon Enos was a hyped up receiver coming out of high school, and he's had some frustrations that he's vented on Twitter that he's not getting the ball enough. And uh, so we were happy to see that happen. It was a, it was a beautiful pass, go up seven nothing. Then we kind of fell apart and. Or Colorado took a, a a seventeen to or a fourteen to ten lead at halftime. First play of the second half, uh, a, a little screen pass to Jerry Rice's son mm-hmm. goes eighty yards for the touchdown. We're down 21-10. Everything felt lost, and all of a sudden, man, we snapped into gear and we were unstoppable from that point on. We uh, drove the ball down the field, scored basically at will. The only time we did not score in the second half was we had a fourth and goal, the one. And we tried to run a direct wildcat package snap to Keithy. The ball was low, snapped past him. And so the play was broken, but we didn't score there. But we did whatever we wanted, man. But the, the story of the game, one, is is the fact that we were resilient and uh, played well in the second half and won. But it's just the continued emergence of one Mr. Ty freaking Jordan, the freshman running back. I've been singing his praises all season, all four games. And uh, he, again, man, he just looks different. And that's the thing is we've had 
good running backs at the U for as long as I can remember my whole life. That's one area where we always have a stud, right? I can all, all the way back to Charlie Brown, Jamal Williams when I was like 10 years – or Jamal uh, Anderson when I was 10 years old, right? Mm-hmm. These are the guys we've always had. In, in the Pac-12, we've had good running backs, but this dude just looks different. He looks like Emmett Smith in my mind. I've said it before. He looks like Emmett Smith, and he runs like him. He's smooth. He's tough to bring down, and he just makes plays happen. And the dude's 17, and he had a – Several long runs. The biggest culminating at the end of the, at the in the fourth quarter when we got the ball back, eighty yards, seventy-five yards, whatever it was, touchdown, game over. Bam, Jordan, Ty Jordan, player of the game. In fact, he's so good that immediately after, every other running back decided to bounce. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> when transfer. when your running back is too good, it's bad. Would <laughs> yeah, and that's that's one of those cases. It's like oh crap, now our depth because before the season, like oh we're really deep at running back, and we were, but yeah. then. TJ Green transferred right before the season started. And now Devin Brumfield and Jordan Wilmore. That's three of the five running backs we had in the running back room gone. And yeah. uh, but dude, Ty Jordan. If I, I here's the thing, he's a freshman. The other guys are sophomores and juniors. They see the writing on the wall. This dude is they do. legit and he's gonna get the majority of the touches. And I don't blame them for looking for a better opportunity for themselves. However, that puts Utah in a terrible spot. Every every player, every down is one injury away. And, yes. I mean, yeah, if you're a junior and a freshman's getting all the reps, you don't want to say, oh, just in case he gets injured, then I'll get my shot. You're going to transfer somewhere where you can be the feature back. And I think they, you mm-hmm. know, they maybe look at a middle-of-the-road G5 team where they get all of the reps, where they're that team's Ty Jordan. So who else do they have? Who yeah. didn't transfer out? You've got Ty Jordan. Who else do so, you have? You know, you bring a good point. Like, it, you need depth, especially because that position, they literally take a hit every play. Yeah. Right? They're always getting hit, so they could they get injured. Um, and the biggest loss was Jordan Wilmore, in my opinion. He was our highest-rated running back recruit ever yeah. that we had gotten two years ago. He was a four-star stud. He literally had been committed to USC, changed it to Utah. So it was a bummer to lose him. Um, <clears throat> but the guys coming back at this point is Ty Jordan, one. Um, another freshman named Micah Bernard. Okay. Kai Bernard, I'm not sure how yeah. to pronounce it, is the other guy. And he's he's had a minimal touches this year, but when he's had them, he's looked pretty good. He's had some decent long runs. He looks quick. He looks fast. And he, too, was pretty highly recruited. And then the running back we signed yesterday, his name's Ricky Parks out of Florida. Okay. He's a pretty highly rated guy as well. A, lot, a ton of P5 offers. So they'll have three solid dudes. Um, but Witt said on his press conference today that, yeah, they need they need more guys in there. So they'll, they'll, in my opinion, they'll probably hit the transfer portal to get one or two more guys in. Not with the not telling them, hey, you have a chance to start because everyone knows it's going to be Tom right. Jordan, right? But telling them you have a chance to compete for touches at least. <laughs> and so if we can get two or three more decent guys, Witt said yesterday he likes to have six running backs. Right now we have three. So if we get two or three, I mean, I look at someone like Ty, uh, Jalen Warren transfer from Utah State. He was their starting running back. Um, he's in the transfer portal. Maybe you can say, hey, come home to Salt Lake because he's from here, um, and you'll get touches. Maybe something like that. Maybe another guy or two. I, I think we'll be fine ultimately. But, yeah, it is it is concerning as far as depth goes. But there's there's tons of time to, to get it. BYU fans know all about having zero running backs. Uh, and, you know, when everything else fails, you just convert a linebacker or two. I mean, it works. We've yeah. had a yeah. – we, we've had Tyler Algier be a running back and then a linebacker and then a running back again. And he's a great running. I mean, he did great this year. So, you know, it, there's nothing wrong with getting creative when you need to. Yeah, especially now that the NCAA passed that guys can transfer without sitting out. It's yeah. almost like, I mean, we could, I have a feeling the portal is going to be stocked with tons of people 
And, uh, you know, we can pluck one or two guys from the transfer. They can be eligible immediately. So it's not it's not as dire as it could have been or as maybe it would have been in years yeah. past when you had to find someone that was eligible but could transfer. Everybody's eligible now. So it, it shouldn't be too hard to pick up another couple guys. This is what I wonder about is, yes, this year is special because no one loses any eligibility. But that applies to every team. And the NFL, like... There's ripple effects everywhere. Like, NFL guys are getting older. So the NFL is going to need replacements at the same rate they have before. High schools are putting guys out at the same rate they have before. And so it seems like college is where that's kind of getting squished. Anybody who's got a shot at the NFL, they're going to go. They're going to go to the NFL because the NFL needs people. Uh, anybody who has a decent, you know, kind of the your, your performers, your starters that don't have a shot at the NFL... They're going to hang around, but the ripple effects is interesting because less underclassmen will be getting chances, will be getting their reps. And so I think a lot of teams are going to have log jams. And some of the national writers have been talking about this, that there is uh, there's the, the transfer, transfer portal is crowded and not everybody's going to have a place to land. And I'm interested to see what happens there. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because, like you said, there, there's – I mean, just logically, every year, X number of players retire from the NFL, X number of players come in, you know, so there's kind of that flow. So it's not going to be something as simple as, oh, well, we're just going to keep all our senior class around and add a freshman class, so now it's bloated. Right. There's going to be a few that will leave, but I think also there's going to be a lot of hurt feelings this offseason. For sure. People that aren't part of the future plan. For example, Witt could say, hey... I know you want to come back, but we just don't have the we don't have the scholarship numbers or the playing time going forward. They'll have scholarships for this one year, yeah. But there's going to be a lot of people that they uh, kindly kind of nudge out the door. Right. There's going to be a lot of hurt feelings, and like you said, there's going to be a lot of people in that transfer portal because it's a free for all because you don't miss any time. You can transfer now. You can theoretically a Utah, let's say, wide receiver can play a game this Saturday. Transfer the next day and be eligible next next August, no matter where he goes, right. without any problem. And that's never happened before. Yeah, it's crazy. A lot of teams are going to find themselves in a position BYU has been in because of the whole mission dynamic, and Utah's been in that as well. Utah has missionaries come back and play. You don't always know what scholarships you have available, and so when you're offering somebody, when you're recruiting, you kind of have to have a little bit of a caveat to every offer because you just never know what your situation will be like. And I know. In the transition between Bronco and Kalani, there was a, a recruit with hurt feelings, and I can't remember his name, but he kind of blasted BYU, saying, "You know, they're they're de- deceived me. They're not standing by their word. What allows it? Yeah, you get hurt feelings when bigger picture. Was it, come on, it's gonna happen. Yeah, was it that? Yeah. Was it that guy from Idaho? That like defensive lineman from Idaho? Was that who it was? It's like some. He he had he had he had a. You know, big hair, and then it kind of dyed bleach blonde one strip down. Yeah, that's I want to say sounds familiar. I I would, yeah, yeah, uh, you're probably right. I can't remember. It's so long ago, and I can't even remember last week. So I I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you don't remember some random recruit six years ago that did never played for BYU but wanted to. Here's the thing about getting older: you can relate. I will randomly remember when I'm like fishing or something, be like, "Oh yeah, I remember that guy," and and then when I want to try yeah. and remember, I can't. I just can't recall it as quick as I uh, used to be able to. And I'm on, oh, I'm dude, not even forty yet. I just I can feel that yeah. that's coming. 
Yeah, so it is with my wife. She's that way. We, we I call it charades because she'll be like, do you remember? And she won't remember. She'll be like, he looks kind of like the guy from the TV show, but she can't remember the TV <laughs> show. You know that show that's got that, and she can't remember the color? So it's like eight steps to connect yes. who it is she's talking to. Yes, and then the yeah. thing that you're trying to remember isn't even the thing you're trying to say. It was just the yeah. thing to remind you of the thing you were trying to say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I do that too. Be like, Getting old sucks. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. So anyway, so wrap up Utah game, man. They look. They looked. Here's the thing about it. Overall feeling, it left me feeling super, super hopeful because it's just been such a disjointed season. I say season because we played four freaking games. It's been so disjointed because we started with USC in at the end of November, yeah. and we hadn't played a game, and they had played two, and they beat us, and so we had no idea. We lost our quarterback. How it? How to think? Next week, we're at Washington on two games prep. We're head big. They come back and beat us. It's like, dude, I don't know how to judge the season. Then we play Oregon State. We go up big. We choke it away. We still win. Last game was the first game all season that I felt super pumped after. And I needed that because I was. it's been just so disjointed. Like, after the game, like, I, I don't, like I said, I don't think Colorado was that great. But we can say, hey, dude, they were a ranked team. And oddly enough, they're still freaking ranked 25th, you know? <laughs> of course they so, are. So, like, they. They're a ranked team, and so we we came in and we we played, did whatever we wanted in the second half. Uh, a few, you know, you can always say ifs and ands or buts, whatever. A couple, a couple balls had bounced other ways. It would have been like a massive blowout if we had converted that fourth down at the goal line. Um, if we hadn't given up a stupid punt return where the punter kicked it to the wrong side, just just things like that, where it it prevented it from being like a forty-five to fifteen type of game. It felt that big. It felt like a, a dominating win, and it was just fun to see these young dudes, freshman after freshman. You know, Ty Jordan, like I said, just dominating. Nate Ritchie getting a sack. You know, true freshman. All these freshmen out there doing these things that I wanted to see. Like I said earlier, all I want is to see progress and hope for the optimism for the future. And baby, I saw it. So yeah, it was awesome. Jake Bentley, I think I had heard that the uh, Oregon State was the first time in just about two years that he had started and won a game, which, I mean, two years without doing that will take a toll on your confidence. We talked about he might have a little bit of a a mental confidence issue. Uh, Your thoughts on this game? I remember one moment he did throw an interception, but on the replay, that's not 100% his fault. He got The ball got hit as he was releasing it. Uh, He maybe Did he have another interception or was it just the one? No, just the one. Just the one. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, he, he started out the game, the first drive, we went down the field like nothing, touchdown. Then, you know, end of the first, second quarter, it was just same. I remember being super frustrated saying, get him out. He's just making dumb passes. Mm-hmm. But then at halftime, Witt said that Ludwig gave him a stern talking to, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. And he was like a different quarterback in the second half. He was he was extending plays to get first downs. He was making big throws. I look at I, I look at the one throw, which, you know, I'll, I'll give you credit. Zach Wilson's made throws like this all year, mm-hmm. you know. And just like beautiful throws like this. But it, it was one of the drives in the second half. It was on the five-yard line. He dropped back and just threw this 30-yard pass just barely past the the hands of the DB right in stride to Brian Thompson right. for a 30-yard gain. It was just – I was like, dude, I, we haven't seen that all year. Like it looked good. Yeah. Um, so I feel like, like you said, because he was injured all last year and half this year we weren't playing. So maybe there was some rust to knock off on him, knock off of him. Um, I feel like he's progressing and getting better to the point where I would be okay if he was our backup next year. Yeah. Um, but the way Witt was talking today in his press conference, it sounds like he didn't say it, but to me, the impression I got was he's all but gone after this year. Um, 
I don't think he's gonna be back next year. So we need we need another quarterback in there to compete with Rising because if Rising is not healthy, and the other guy's a true freshman. But yeah, you know what? I was I was pleased with Jake Bentley because he, he I mean he he did not lose us. He won us the game last week. Not not like on a, a certain play, but he played well enough to win the game yeah. and make big plays, and he did. And so yeah, I was I was impressed with Jake, and I owe him an apology because I ripped on him last week. This week though, he he was good. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, if you're looking at it, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's gone because writing's on the wall. Cam Rising is your guy, and you got a, another great recruit coming in, and uh, that's kind of your one too, ideally, right? Is is you got the the guy waiting in the wings is the future QB one, and if Bentley's kind of just in no man's land, yeah, yeah, maybe go find a better spot, you know? Yeah, ideal, ideally that's the plan, but just as you can see. You're one snap away from having big time problems. For sure, that happened this year. I mean, our starting quarterback threw six passes this year. That's it. Yeah, and then tore his labrum. So let's say next year we go in and it's rising, and the backups Costelli, and he and same thing. He breaks it. He, he heaven forbid separates his other shoulder. Then all of a sudden it's like a true freshman. That's it. So I think we need personally. I want to see us hit the transfer market again, like we did Bentley, but. Get somebody in to come in and say, listen, you will compete for the starting job with Cam Rising. Mm. And tell Cam Rising, listen, you're our guy, but you know, just to be safe, we don't know how your shoulder is going to heal. Right, right. You know? So we're going to bring someone in, and you two are going to go at it, and you have the leg up if you're healthy. Uh, but we need, we can't, we can't go in next year, in my opinion, with a guy that's taken thrown six balls that we don't know how great he is, yeah. and then a true freshman. We need somebody else in there too. So I'm hoping, and Witt, actually, again, I've, I've been, it's like I was at the press conference the way I've referenced it. He mentioned today that he, they, they're, that's a need that they're going to try and fill. Mm. So Yeah. Yes. Interesting. Sir. Cool. So on to your, your Cougs, man. Yeah, like San I say, last State. week, the, this year, sometimes one week feels like an eternity ago. This was uh, We're recording on Thursday night. That was Saturday night. Um, fun game because it happened and we won, but it was frustrating. It was one of those wins that feels like a loss. And I think the reason is San Diego State had been talking, or at least their social media had been talking, some of their players had been talking about, oh, we're the real anytime, any team, any place team because we play Colorado and you guys whisked out of Washington. And so we would have loved nothing more than to hang 50 on them. You know, I mean, it was, it, there's some bad blood there, mostly their direction to our direction. But man, it would have been so sweet to just, just, wipe them wipe the field with them you know and that didn't happen we won uh 28 14 um and it was some one of those where i'll give brady hoke some credit i i don't like him i don't think he's a great coach but he's he's got a ton of experience and so i think brady hoke looked at what coastal carolina did said here's byu's defensive weaknesses we're going to tailor our offense to try to exploit those we're going to just try and run this time of possession as much as we can and they made it a shorter game, so you don't have a chance to blow someone out. Now, BYU, someone was throwing out some st- some statistics. I think their average, their games where they've been blowing people out, they've had uh, you know a dozen offensive possessions a game, and there are even more sometimes. And they had something like ten possessions this time, so their chances were there offensively. It wasn't all on the defense. Um, but yeah, I think if this this same matchup happens game one, and BYU doesn't have the Coastal Carolina film to expose them. I think BYU likely does blow them out. But, I mean, you can play that hypothetical game all you want. But I, I think Hoke had a great game plan going into it. Um, at the end of the day, I mean, we got the win. It was just frustrating. It's just It sucks to see the defense on the field that long, that many stretches in a row. But you know, it was still a fun game. A lot of fun highlights. Uh, you know, I, I, let's 
bigger and better things next week. I mean, I'm. You think that you think uh, the weather had anything to do with that? Because I mean, it wasn't snowing, but dude, it was ne- it was you know freezing weather late at night in December. You know, it's hard. I was to I don't know. I was trying to remember. Can you remember? Can you recall any time you've seen a beautiful football game in cold weather? I think that just doesn't happen. No, I, I mean, I, obviously, you know, it ha- there's a lot of NFL cold weather games that I can't go through the history there thinking about it. But in in college. I don't think I have. No, I don't. You know. think Who about knows? the rivalry game between Utah and BYU that ended three nothing. I mean, that was a blizzard. Oh. That was a snowstorm. That was the freaking worst game I've ever been to. Yeah. I was I was down there. That was the year U- Utah is Urban Meyer's first year, and we were rolling. We were I think we'd won seven straight or something. Uh-huh. Go six straight going into Provo, and we were beating teams pretty handily. Alex Smith was rolling. Um, and dude, I, my seats were in the north end zone, the very last row at the top of Lavelle Road Stadium, in the north end zone behind the goalposts. And my feet were in four inches of slush, so my feet were freaking numb. I was bundled up, and it was swirling wind and snow. So I'd have these snowflakes fly by my head and then swirl back into my face, and it was, it was so terrible, so terribly cold. I had my arms crossed the whole game. I had my beanie on. I just had like a, a little eye to look out, you know, like a little slit from my beanie and coat, and it was just miserable. And the game sucked terribly. Three nothing. Oh man, that was a terrible game. Yeah, yeah that's sad. Uh, that three nothing. There's no beautiful three nothing football game in the history of football. And when I think of a beautiful yeah. game, I'm thinking of like the crazy Big Twelve scores from a few years ago, where it's like seventy two to sixty one, or, or any any Mike Leach game ever. When you say the whole yeah. game is full of oohs and ahs and highlights and fifty yard completions, and then I mean, Mike Leach's defense has been so terrible that anybody else playing against him can do the same thing. And so it's just highlight after highlight after highlight. And so, yeah, it absolutely played a factor. Uh, in that same vein, Jake Oldroyd is the man. He hit a 54-yard field goal. It's something like 13 degrees. And, and there, that is a very real thing. When I first lived in Alaska, uh, coming up on six years ago, well, I'm almost six years here now, uh, 33 wow. degrees below zero. The first time we hit that temperature... Me with this brand new, like, bright-eyed, Alaska's awesome mentality. I was like, all right, I'm going to bundle up, and I'm going to go shovel the snow. And, and there was no new snow. It didn't need to be shoveled. But I was just like, i got to go do something manly in 33 below zero because I can, because i got to tell people back home. So right away, I'm out there. I'm just pushing, pushing. About five minutes into it, I snapped the shovel in half. Like, the plastic, it, the nature <laughs> of materials at that temperature, it changes and I'm not so strong, and the snow's not so heavy that I can just snap shovels. But at 33 below, things aren't behaving the way they should. And so 15 degrees or 13 degrees, that football is a rock. And for Oldroyd to be able to drill a 54-yarder at that temperature is amazing. And to remain perfect on the season from field goals. I think he's something like 12 of 12, 13, 13, something like that. He's got one more game to go, and I want him. I just, it's the thing. There's, I have more anxiety for him next game because he's perfect. And it's like, come on. It's kind of like Zach Wilson. It's like the no-hitter in baseball, exactly. right? Like the no-hitter in baseball. Nobody talks the pitcher because they don't want to do anything. Yeah, that, that ninth inning is just so anxiety-inducing. And Zach Wilson against Western Michigan when he was 100%, it's like, all right, stop throwing. We don't want to blow it. Let's just hand off the rest of the game. Yeah. And so I, I want I want. Jay Oldroyd to go out perfect. I'd love to see him land on an NFL roster. He's been a, a bright spot we haven't really talked about because nobody respects kickers these days. But uh, it's really cool to see, see, see him do that. He is a senior, yeah. 
Yeah, he. If you remember, but he could come back way, right? way back. Oh yeah, that's true. This year doesn't count. I I don't see him sticking around. Maybe uh, I think if if an NFL team, I, if there's a need, he's the guy. He's one. He's uh, either the front runner or in the top two or three for the Lou Groza Award. But yeah, his first game was Kalani Sataki's first game where he kicked the. I think it was a fifty yarder to to beat Arizona last second. Oh wow, that's a, it, that seemed like a long time. It ago. was a long. It was six years ago. But you remember uh, seeing the highlight that he had green shoes on. Do you remember that? Yeah, do you know why? He he I was don't. called up last minute, and he still he had his high school cleats because he had just barely made the roster. I think their uh, their other kicker went down with short notice or something like that. They didn't give him any team issued cleats. He didn't have any, so he was wearing his high school cleats to kick the game winning football team in Kalani wow. Sataki's first game over Arizona at the Cardinal Stadium, wherever they play the uh, in Glendale, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. Huh. Wow, dude. Um. Didn't he last year struggle a little bit for a while last year or yeah. something, if I recall? Yep. But he's, he's Yeah, early on, I, I want to say early in the season, Greg Rubel began calling him Jake the Make, and everyone was like, Jake the Make, Jake the Make. And then it, it kind of yeah, was a, right. a cruel twist of irony when he started missing them all. He kind of went through a slump. But, I mean, he's he's pulled out of it. He's He's been really good this year. So I, I do not right. envy kickers. That just seems like something where – You've got to be focused. You got to—I mean—you have to have the athleticism, obviously, to kick it. But so much riding on like that one thing, like games, will be won and lost yep. on your moment, and it might be the only yep. moment all week that you've done anything that yeah. people pay attention to. And it's—and oh, not only that, it's one of those things where if you're not perfect, that's when people like you have to be perfect, or you're you're not good enough, right? Absolutely. Like you miss a field goal. Like a wide receiver drops a ball, people forget about it pretty quickly after he catches the next one. A, a, a kicker misses a field goal that's like defines them. Yeah, you know, that, yeah. I don't, I don't envy them either. I was watching an episode of Buying Alaska because that's how I prepared to move to Alaska, and the Denver Broncos retired kicker. I can't remember his name. He was on the episode. It was like, oh yeah, he's an NFL kicker, and so he's got some money. And he was, he was actually shopping around in your former uh, stomping grounds. And ended up buying wow. this uh, this island home down there near Juneau. And that stuck with right. me because I thought, if you make your career as an NFL kicker, retiring to your own island in Alaska might feel right. You know, just tune yeah. everybody out. Go live so, on your island. Did he get his own island home or like a home on an island with other homes? Like, Is, is it like just him on that little island? Yeah, a small island with one home. Cool, how, man. How sweet that's would that dream, be? That's a dream, man. That is, yeah, that's like, that's a dream, dude. Yeah. That would be cool. Yeah, yeah huh. for sure. Well, okay, so you moving on, you got your bowl game on Tuesday, which is crazy to think. Yes. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm looking forward to it. Honestly, I wanted to I wanted a chance at Utah. I wanted to either be Utah's backup plan this week or say, let's meet in a bowl. Like, I, I wanted to play Utah. But if that's not happening, I like this. I like it. A lot of, here's, BYU fans that listen too much to Utah fans, aren't happy with this because they want a shot at a P5. I hate that. I hate the P5 label. You know, I mean, it's yeah, it's a real thing. I, dude, I know. But if you tune out the haters, because you're never going to win them over anyway. They're never going to give you the approval. If you ignore Utah fans, and if you ignore the fans from like Indiana or Iowa State or whoever else in the national landscape is knocking BYU for not playing P5s, and you just look at the matchup you've got, this is a good freaking matchup. I like this. US UCF... Uh, I call them the uh, the Boise State of the East with where they've been the past five years. I mean, they've been a, a, a powerhouse year in, year out at the G5 level. 
this is a good game. In fact, uh, this will be BYU's best opponent to date this year. And so I hate that fans are overlooking this, like, oh, it's just a G5. It's, come on, that we have not played anybody this good this year. And if, if the team has some of that attitude, heaven forbid the team buy into it, they're going to get embarrassed because this isn't a bad team. Yeah, and the thing is, um, you, we mentioned before, you can't, you can't judge your happiness on people that hate you's opinion of you, you know? Absolutely. Like, you can't judge your happiness on what it, because like you said, you'll never win those fans over, so why try? You know, no matter what happens with BYU, I will always try and find a way to point out what sucks for them, and same <laughs> with the, the, the opposite. Yes. No matter what happens with Utah, you'll try and find a way to say, I mean, people were already lining up saying, oh, look, at Utah can't even, we've already done what Utah can't do in the Pac-12. We've gone to a NY6 Bowl, right? I mean, people just look for ways to yeah. do that. It's fine. Oh, yeah. So don't worry about what they're saying, because I remember last year getting in fights like we mentioned with Baylor and Oklahoma fans because that's who we were competing for for the playoff and so you just get in these fights um, but back to your UCF yeah dude not only have they been the Boise they've been they've been better in my opinion than Boise State the last decade they had two as we mentioned back-to-back undefeated seasons because mm-hmm. we talked about them not getting in the playoffs they went undefeated and then beat Auburn in I think it was the Peach Bowl or LSU one of those two and then the next year undefeated again and then lost to either Auburn or LSU, the, the other one that they didn't beat. You know, mm. Those are the two. And But they had back-to-back undefeated regular seasons and beating an SEC team in a bowl game in between. So, yeah, they've had they've had uh, the national spotlight on them for sure. So, yeah, man, it should be a good game. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be fun. Yeah, great opponent, great location. We're not going to have a freaking 13-degree game. I the, Being in Boca Raton, I'm expecting Zach Wilson to air it the F out. He needs to be throwing bombs all game. Because this is very likely his final chance to throw more highlights in the tape, possibly move up from a top six pick to a top three pick, which is, I mean, there's huge monetary incentives there. But this needs to this needs to be his audition tape. Uh, I'm expecting big things from this team based on conditions, based on getting up for the opponent. Uh, looking forward to it. I really, I, I couldn't be happier with an opponent. Unless it was Utah. I'd rather play Utah, but that's all right. Other than well, that, dude, I, Utah, I'm thrilled. Utah's never going to happen for two reasons. One, Witt knows what kind of vulnerability they would have put Utah in. And you think he wants to do that against his rival? <laughs> no way, man. I mean, just, just being honest. like you, you, you know, He wouldn't do that. He wouldn't put, put, yeah. him, put him in a position to, to lose. Um, but you talk about the warm weather game. I just thought about it. Utah hasn't had one. Warm weather game all year. We opened at 8 o'clock at night against USC in Salt Lake in December. Mm-hmm. Then our second game was 8 o'clock at night in Seattle. It was like 32 degrees. Yeah. Then our third game was Oregon State in December at home. Then we went to Colorado where it was snow. And then our last game is going to be this weekend against Washington State. We've had all winter games this year. Like We haven't had one decent weather game. Someone pointed out, and I, I think it's worth looking into, with BYU and San Diego State, with no fans, or, or I think it was family only, and that was maybe why. I think I think at some point they were considering not having even family. Why don't you move it indoors to the practice facility? Why don't you paint that? Why don't you make it a, a an arena game in Provo? That's funny. That's a good idea. I didn't th- and you have a 100-yard – it's a 100-yard field, obviously, yeah. right? Yeah, I think um, the lines is, are all is, screwy. Is the roof – is the roof – can you punt oh, in there? Oh, I, I think a good punter enough? could hit the roof. I, I, it's, it's not that big. Um, so, yeah, maybe that becomes an issue. But, um, but no, the main – I've been in that there a few times and kind of thrown the football around and run around on it. And I think they have – they don't have a full-size football field. They could, 
But I think they have some of them going one direction, some going the other direction, wow. just to get some reps in for more people. Um, gotcha. Anyway, gotcha. It's, it's a thought. Utah, yeah, I'm sure Utah could do the same thing. They've got a decent practice facility, right? They do, but it's not a full hundred yards. It's an eighty yards. Oh, okay. It's eighty yards, but they also have, or maybe this. It's the same type of thing. It's eighty yards, but then they kind of have going the other way twenty yards too. I don't know. Maybe they could. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. They just built it under Urban Meyer. Um, yeah, man. So that'll be what time's the game on Tuesday? It is three p.m. my time. I've had to talk to my front desk and say we've got to move this patient. <laughs> That's uh, yeah. the the joys of living in Alaska. Is you wake up Saturday morning eight a.m. You've got a game on. the uh, The pain of living here is during March Madness. Well, March Madness affects everybody everywhere, but uh, during bowl season these next few weeks, there's going to be daytime football, and I'm going to miss a lot of it. So I'm going to try and get out of here early. Three o'clock my time. Five o'clock Mountain Time. Uh, Seven o'clock p.m. local time. What's the uh, do you know what the spread is? I haven't looked that far into it yet. I I honestly I I don't know. I would imagine right, well, BYU is favored. Just looking at my Sagarin sheet over here, which we'll get to next after we preview Utah Washington State. Uh, BYU is is a decent. They're they're statistically better on the Sagarin score. Gotcha. You know, next week's probably going to be our last episode of the season because it's your bowl game and Utah hasn't announced it but it's all all indications are pointing they're not going to accept a bowl invite if they get one really because yeah Britton covey said after after the last game he's like listen we see teams opting out and we understand why we're just burnt out he's like yeah mentally they've been practicing and in the facility all season like every other team mm-hmm. except they haven't been playing any freaking games yeah you know? they've been here since june doing workouts and practicing and then games get canceled so he's like mentally we're just burnt out we're just burnt out and you think about it, normally by now they're either played their bowl game or preparing for their bowl game or their season's done anyway. It's Christmas. They you, you really think about, it. okay, let's say they get an invite to the freaking, I don't know, the Frisco bowl or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, on December 28th, you think they want to, after all this, want to quarantine through Christmas exactly, and be away from their families during Christmas after this mentally hard season where you're just, it's your three and two. It doesn't even matter. Yeah, yeah. I would, I personally would not want to, I would want to say, okay, we did the best we could with this crappy situation. We got five games in. We ended on a high note, hopefully, going three and two, winning our last three. Let's go hang out with our families for Christmas and be done with this. That's what I'd want to do. Yep. Right? It, you, because the it doesn't it doesn't count. It doesn't count. The season doesn't count towards their eligibility. They're not losing anything. It's just like exhibition at this point. So I would if they if they do play, I'll be surprised. And if they don't, I'm all for it, man. You deserve this. You earned this. You reminded me of the tweet that never was. I, I showed better judgment because I did not want the firestorm to rain down upon me. And I also didn't want to call this guy out. Brown Bear, SLC, uh, I love that guy. He is, he's, a, he's a cool dude on Twitter. I can't even think of his real name, but that's his handle, Brown Bear, SLC. Brian, Brian Brown. Brian Brown. He, <laughs> he tweeted out in the middle of BYU versus Troy. BYU is just demolishing Troy. And he was saying, okay, BYU fans, is this fun, though? And he got destroyed for that because, yeah, it was fun. It was it was really fun. And then when you turn to the rivalry, you know, like, okay, we got to make it about Utah. Okay, how fun is Utah having? They're not playing anything at this point. You know, Utah was 0-0. Zero and zero. And uh, I wanted to tweet that out in the middle of Utah's first game when they were losing to USC. I wanted to be like, hey, Ute fans, is this fun? But <laughs> there's two things about it. Number one, I don't want to call him out because I get what he was saying and I felt bad that he got piled on at that point in time. Number two, there would have been a huge chunk of fans that wouldn't have caught the inside joke that I was trolling him and they would have been yeah. <laughs> they would have come after me like, shut up, Zoob, whatever. Um, 
You would have picked up the 14 follower guys. Exactly. Like, just new to this. Something about Joseph Smith's wives or whatever. Um, <laughs> no, instead of instead of doing that, I did not tweet that. Um, but you reminded me because BYU players are not burned out because this has been a really fun ride. Like, yes, we've been beating it's, up on teams like Troy, but it's been fun. We've been airing it it's out. It's still we've been, been a real season. Up these though. highlights. Dax Milne yeah. has been, to me, the bright spot of the season. Everything he's been able to do. Yeah, it's uh, they're nowhere near burned out. This has been a fantastic season. No. Well, it's because it's been a real season for you. Yeah. That's what a lot of people don't understand. When Utah fans say this season doesn't count anyway, we're not talking about every team in the country does not count, right? right? Well, we, sometimes for you Utah, are, but that's okay. Well, it depend, yeah, depends if we're trying to make fun of BYU or not, right? <laughs> um, but but the thing is, is yes, you've played almost a full freaking schedule. You've played 11 games. Yeah. Of course it counts, and it's been fun. You've been ranked. You've been in play for some huge things, like – Duh! Like I, I, it totally. I, for those that don't understand, when when we're talking about Utah, and say it's an exhibition, they get offended, saying, "Oh, you're just saying that because your season sucks, dude." Yeah, it's four games. We've literally played four games, and we started in the end of November against a USC team that's undefeated that has already played two games. Of course, you can't take anything away from how good we are, and it's proven by how we've gotten better over the season. Like that Utah game against Colorado in the second half, they looked. St- Night and day difference from they did against the first game of the year. You can't take crap from the first game. So when I say it's an exhibition, doesn't count. I mean it. But for Utah, like I mean it. It's mm-hmm. it was an exhibition season where we got some some good bright spots. Ty Jordan came out of freaking nowhere, right? But it doesn't mean anything because nobody's ever going to look at the Pac-12 South winner from this year and say, oh, that's a legit South title. It's not. I mean, look at the championship game. It's freaking Oregon in it against USC because the team that actually won it is COVID positive and can't participate. Like this whole season for the Pac-12 has been nothing but exhibition and et cetera. And so, yeah. So anyway, that went off a kind of a rant there. No, that's a good rant to go off of. I wonder, and only time will tell, and I don't want this to sound like I'm criticizing Pac-12 leadership for being careful because not Do just it. the Pac-12, Criticize the Big Ten them. has been being careful. Well, they suck. but here's the thing: I'm a healthcare provider first. Well, no, I'm probably yeah. a football fan first, but I'm also a healthcare provider, <laughs> and I get it. We got to keep people safe, you know. So I don't want to be like, look, look at what happened. They did it all the wrong way. However, as a football fan, ignoring the pandemic and ignoring being safe and all that stuff, the American has been making. They've, they've been having a great year. And if they're trying to make the case that we belong, that we're a P6 and, and this and that, and meanwhile you got a couple of the conferences that are really just, I mean, the, it's not just the Pac-12, the Big Ten. you got Ohio State that's got, what, four games they've played? I mean, five, five games. They, they just, they're taking steps backwards in terms of what do you show the recruits? What do you tell the kids? What do, how do you make your case that they should come play for you? And so there may be some fallout that's not really uh, tangible or, or something that's, you know, you don't look on paper at the recruiting site and say, oh, they got this bump because of the year 2020 and how they handled that. But I mean, certainly you wouldn't – you look at it and you'd say the American has made progress and the Pac-12 has regressed a little bit. The Big Ten, I think, has regressed a little bit. Oh, dude, I, the, I've said this before. The Pac-12 could not have handled this thing worse. Yeah. Right? They could not have handled this thing worse because their whole freaking point was – I don't want to go through every detail because it's just take forever. Right. Their whole point was we, we're going to get this daily testing and we're going to do it the right way, blah, blah, blah. So the whole – the idea was, oh, since they're going to have this testing, they're never going to have a game missed because they'll be able to isolate immediately, get that person out, blah, 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 BS, BS, BS. All they did was screw themselves by petting themselves into a corner because they left no room for error. None. Because yeah. they'd backed up all their games, scheduled a, a terribly 
a BS seven-game season. And at that point, if you missed a game, it didn't matter. It was over. Whereas the SEC, the AAC, uh, the Big 12, they started in September still, allowed themselves a bigger runway. Um, and turns out, even not having the daily antigen crap that the Pac-12 had, they canceled less games in the Pac-12 anyway. Mm-hmm. We ended up canceling more games anyway, despite, quote-unquote, being as prepared as we could. They just... Dude, they were not prepared. They were unprepared, and it's been a joke along the, the entire way. You you can read an article from John Canzano of the Oregonian. He's been like a Pac-12. Uh, he's a beat writer for Oregon and areas uh, 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 columnist for Oregon, Oregon State. But he has been bashing Larry Scott nonstop for months, and it's all justified. And he yeah. lays out step by step how they screwed this up because they canceled the season. And then they announced this huge daily partnership testing, right? And then at that point, they did freaking nothing. They waited three weeks well, that's almost not true. They before got a, the next thing to happen. They got a seafood partner in that, that window. Yes. That's not they, nothing. They, did. they went out and shopped an incredible seafood partner. But in between that, as far as getting game started, they did nothing. And it shows because the Oregon governor and the California governor said, hey, we have not even heard from Pac-12 leadership on what their plan is. Mm-hmm. Like you would have, th- they they missed two weeks where they could have been hammering the governor, saying, "This is our plan. This is how it's going to happen. Let us play." They did nothing. They announced it. Larry Scott went back to his million dollar house and sat around and did nothing and lost three weeks of precious time where they could have started sooner, right? Yeah. And you know it may end up costing USC a freaking playoff spot. Yeah. Because they're not going to make it if they win this weekend. They're going to finish six and zero, but they're going to say, "Oh, you didn't play enough games." Which yeah. Ironically, Ohio State—they're going to get in if they get if they win. Yeah, they, oh, and so yeah, it's such a joke. But the point is that misstep there may have cost the Pac-12 millions and millions of dollars by not getting USC in the playoff because USC is undefeated. They're a freaking brand name. If if we had three more games and they were nine and zero, they're in. You know. Mm-hmm. Here's the other embarrassing thing. There's some overlap in the territory of the Mountain West and the Pac-12, and uh, the Mountain West led the way out west. I mean, obviously, BYU led the way, but other than you take away BYU and just look at the conferences, Pac-12 was following the Mountain West's lead, and that's, that's not how it should be. Yeah, well, here's what happened. Is, 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 is the, Mount, the Pac-12 announced first, before any conference, this game-changing testing. Mm-hmm. They announced it, right, and did nothing. Yeah. So then the Mountain West, after the Pac-12 announced it, got the same partnership with the same co- company, and then they announced it a couple weeks later. Hey, we got this now, but they still started before the Pac-12. Right. They were able to put a season in where they had two games prior to the first game of the Pac-12, even getting the testing after the Pac-12. Yeah. And there was a complete lack of leadership, complete drop the ball. Oh, and by the way, this stupid commissioner makes three times what any other commissioner makes. It's a joke. He needs to be fired. It's asinine. He's he's hurting the brand. He's he's literally hurting the brand, but nobody cares, man. This, nobody seems to care. I've thought about this question a lot. Everybody that I've talked to that has an opinion on this agrees he needs to be fired. Who's his boss? His boss are the 12 presidents of each university. And how do they go That's about firing him? I, I'm not sure if they really have a good protocols problem because before him was a commissioner that was around for 35 years, right? Yeah. So then the, 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 the Pac-10 hired, or after he got fired, they hired Larry Scott away from the Women's Tennis Association with the sole purpose of upping the media rights mm-hmm. because he had just landed a huge meteorite deal for the for the women's tennis which turns out in hindsight it was just timing really with the yeah. way media rights were going huh. anyway so he's hired by these pac-12 presidents he expands they invite utah colorado so his bosses are quote-unquote the ceos he calls them 
the CEO's this, the CEO's that. The thing is, though, is of the of the ten Pac-12 presidents that hired him, eight of them are gone now, and so mm-hmm. they're all new presidents that that didn't hire this guy. So my opinion is he will get fired this offseason. He has to. He has bungled it. And I know, I know all the athletic directors hate this guy's guts. Yeah, like yeah. they think he sucks because he 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 treats them like crap. And you know what? The, it's it's the ADs that are going to be in the president's ears saying we got to get rid of this guy. Look what he's done. And so I think honestly, finally this offseason, he's out, man, and he's got to go. And it cannot come fast enough. Who's your choice to replace him? Dude, you know honestly who I think would be good. I'm not even just saying <laughs> you, this because I'm biased. You're gonna you're gonna say it. Go ahead. Who do you think I'm gonna say? Uh, I, I've got two names. You're either gonna say Tom Homo or you're gonna say Utah's AD. No, neither. Okay. Actually, they would both would be good though. Mm. Like Tom Homo, honestly, he would be. Oh, he with his with his NFL background, with his what he's done. So honestly, who I think it should be is Chris Hill, Utah's former AD. Oh, really? Because he's not he's not doing anything now. He's got thirty years in athletic administration. He understands the athletic side of it, and he's really he's a smart guy. I know BYU fans don't like him because he was really condescending towards the end. Well, but like he's it wasn't just the condescension. Available. He he single handedly did a lot to get away from the rivalry being the rivalry. So if you enjoy the rivalry, you dislike him. If you like him, you don't like the rivalry. I mean, he just that's that's my problem with him. Yeah, okay. No, but he he I think he'll do a good job. You know, he's got the athletic director background. He knows what school sports programs need to be successful. Yeah. And look at his I mean, dude, his 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 resume speaks for itself with one glaring issue though. Um he hired Rick Majerus, game changing hire. He hired Ron McBride, game changing hire. Urban Meyer, game changing. He kept Kyle Whitting him around. He's got some super successful hires. The problem is out the door, man. He really screwed the basketball program over with mm-hmm. going Jack Letty, Boylan, and then giving Larry Kristoviak this monstrous buyout yeah. um, to where we can't we can't get rid of him, which has really hamstrung the basketball program. But I think uh, I think he'd be good. But yeah. we need someone like that, someone who understands that it's not just about the crap Larry Scott, the partnerships and the global vision with the Chinese crap that they're trying to do. We need someone who understands, listen, football is king and basketball to a lesser extent is also important, but football is king. We need to do everything we can to make sure the football programs are eating and are in their best position possible to be successful. Who can, who can make the schedule. Look at the SEC, bro. I've mentioned before, but they do everything right for the football teams. Yeah, They schedule eight conference games and they have a cupcake game, the second to last game of the season before the right. rivalry games. Right. Like they'll have in the middle of their season, Alabama versus Chattanooga, like everyone. So they, they've, they've figured out the best way to maximize the scheduling in their benefit, the TV dollars in their benefit. I mean, they're already in the South where it's the richest recruiting ground. In the, I mean, the SEC does it right, but we need somebody who's savvy and understands that football needs to be king and we'll do everything we can for football to be king. Not mm-hmm. worry about, bless their hearts, I don't mean this negatively, but the women's softball team getting TV coverage. Well, that doesn't matter. Everybody benefits. When when football does better, everybody benefits because, <coughs> yeah, we should care about women's softball, but if the football program can bring in three times the money that they're bringing in, that money goes to the women's softball team. It's just like, like breast cancer is the... Uh, beauty queen of the cancers you know and that's okay like we can have breast cancer fundraisers that get far and away way more donations than colon cancer but guess what if you cure breast cancer you've cured other cancers too and so it's okay for for one aspect to get that's i guess in my analogy 
Football is the breast cancer of sports. <laughs> that's perfect. And that's what this podcast, if that anything sums up our podcast, <laughs> it's that statement right there. Dude. Football is the breast cancer of sports. And, uh, dude, it's exactly We right, all right? win when breast cancer <laughs> gets right. cured. You know, it's, every, it's, it's good for everybody. So, yeah. Yeah. Hey, we've got. Yeah, well, let's look real quick to the Washington State uh, preview. Preview that for me. You've got a. I, I've got some numbers here. Let's delve into the numbers, and we'll spin that into a Washington State preview. I had neglected the last few episodes to uh, update my Sagarin, so I've got. I've got. I seriously have three pages of like a million numbers written down. This is what I did in between my patients today, as I came and I researched and I scribbled numbers like a madman. Um, BYU is currently sitting at number 17 in the Jeff Sagarin USA Today rankings. Utah at number 26. Were they to play each other, BYU would be Utah's second best opponent. USC is 16. They're just one spot away from being Utah's best opponent. Utah would be BYU's best opponent if they were to play each other. Utah's sitting at 26. And uh, dude, that that surprises me honestly that we're that high. Yeah, yeah. They Sagarin two two. likes Utah. Uh, UCF is at 28, so Utah's just a few spots ahead of BYU's actual current best opponent, UCF. So what I've done all year is said however many games Utah gets, the top that many is what we're comparing with schedules. So Utah's got USC at 16, Washington 27, Washington State at 53, Colorado 56, Oregon State at 58. This looks like it should be a win for Utah just based on Wait, that. Say, say those again. Sorry, say that again. All right. USC and Washington are at 16 and 27. So those are Utah's two losses. Was- uh, Colorado and Oregon State, Utah's two wins are at 56 and 58. Washington State falls right in the middle of them at 53, which, you know, they're a lot closer to Colorado than they are to Washington. So uh, Utah should win here. Okay. Okay. All right. So the average. Of Utah's strength of schedule is 42. Who is currently Jeff Sagarin's number 42 team? Cal. So Utah's average strength of schedule is Cal, 42. Huh. All right, so let's flip it to BYU. Like BYU, you've got in this order, UCF, then Boise, then Coastal Carolina, then Houston, then San Diego State. Numbers going 28, 33, 46, 66, and 69. You average that all up, you get an average number of 48. So yes, Utah's top five games are better than BYU's top five games by a whopping difference of 48 to 42. 48 right now, the 48 team in the nation is Baylor. So BYU's average strength of schedule is Baylor. Utah's average strength of schedule is Cal. Comparable. Does that mean, does that get, I mean, that just got you into a P5 conference. Absolutely. (laughs) Without playing a single P5 team. But that's the thing. You look at this non-P5 these are some. These aren't scrubs. Coastal Boise and UCF. They're all in the top fifty. All right. Well, that's uh, looks like uh, it worked out. Do we know what? I mean, what's he, what does he say the strength of schedules are? So Utah's strength of schedule he says is thirty. That's his. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't have the website up. I just. 100. I just wrote down the rankings. Oh, he's got BYU strength of schedule at one hundred. Oh yeah, you're the looking at the whole is, schedule. Like I'm, yeah, I'm saying top is, heavy. Is it, it's dra- dragging in your bottom whatever. Right, your bottom right. Well, there. and this is why I decided to do that. This is my editor's note here. Uh, if Utah only played five games and BYU played 11, 
I'm, I'm saying Utah has six spots of the easiest game in the world, which is no game, you know, a bye week. Nobody loses a bye week. So if you drop off yeah. six spots for Utah, let's drop off BYU's weakest six and just compare those top five. It's pretty darn comparable. Okay. I mean, I, I, based on this ranking, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. It would be interesting to track later on down the road. You know, one more one more chance for things to switch. I think we're pretty close to the finish line, but yeah, we'll follow up. We'll follow up next week with our season ending yeah, recap sure. here. So, yeah, yeah, I love it. That sounds good. All right. Well, thanks for the the uh, follow up on that. That's that's awesome. So, um, yeah. So Utah's got fifty third ranked Wazoo this week. Uh, it's at home, but it doesn't matter. They're they're all neutral site games, really, <laughs> if you think about it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you just don't have to, I guess, well, I mean, I guess you don't have to get on a plane, but, uh, they, they're starting a freshman quarterback named Deloria is his last name. It's like, honestly, have you, have you seen his name, his full name? No. The Washington state quarterback. His full name is like 15 words or something. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, Where's he from? He's from, he's from Hawaii. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to look it up here. Um, yeah. So I can, so I can tell you what it, what it is. Um, While you're looking that up, I'm going to tell a story about my friend Prince Henry Idiagbonya from Nigeria. He was a man I met when I was living okay. in Germany, and uh, he was the coolest guy. He's literally a prince in Nigeria. Like, like before email prince Nigerian prince scams. Like this was a guy I met on the street. Very interested in the message we had to say, and it took me like I seriously I wrote down his name and I practiced it until I could say flawlessly Idiagbonya. So his name is Prince Henry Idiagbonya. And uh, I was hanging out with him and his cousin, who was a taxi driver, and his cousin's name was like Sonic or something like that. And uh, and I was just asking them about their family. I'm like, well, what about this guy? What about this guy? And he's showing me this picture of all his cousins who were all princes. And he's like, yeah, that's Portfolio, and that is Sony. And he's just like, just what? the most bizarre names. And it turns out, he was saying in his culture, when a baby is born, it's not the mom and dad giving it a name. Everybody gives that baby a name. And every name counts. Really? And so however many people you have that are like in your inner circle, that's how many names you have. And so <laughs> that was so cool. I came home from Germany and uh, I think my parents brought my niece like a lobster or something like that. I'm like, how about instead of everybody fighting about what it's named, let's all give it a name. And so we, we practiced this Nigerian, whatever tribe that was, custom of everybody giving that lobster a name. And it had 15 names. Wow. It was beautiful. <laughs> that's funny. All right. I found his full name. So... Washington State's starting quarterback's name is, I'm going to butcher it, obviously, right. but it's Jaden Pukundakoa Hawaii Mailandaka Ahaele Make Kahepa Uwili Abnaake Eloha Peters Delora. Nice. That's his full That's his full name. Yeah. But that wouldn't fit on a jersey, so they just go with Delora <laughs> is the last name. <laughs> it's his last name. So he's a true freshman. He's shown flashes. He looks decent. Um, they've got the uh, their coach is the old Hawaii coach, Nick Rolovich. Kind yeah. of a kind of a um, uh, an out there guy, kind of a loose cannon. Not as much as their previous coach, Mike Leach, but right. still to an extent. I mean, when he was the Mountain West coach, he brought strippers to the Mountain West Media Day one year. Like, he, he <laughs> I, did, just, I did not hear that that's story. What he does. Yeah, he would bring someone different every year. Once it was a magician, once it was like pole dancers, once it was yeah. something. Anyway, so he's kind of an interesting dude. Um, they've had ups and downs. They also are two and two. Um, and if they win, they'll be bowl eligible. But they've already announced themselves that they're not going to a bowl. Right. There's been four Pac-12 teams that have already said, no matter what, we're not going to a bowl. I expect Utah to to, to follow suit. Uh, I'm not sure if their uh, their all conference running back uh, Borgie is playing. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he does, 
um, then then he's a he's a threat. But Utah's defense, man, our run defense is top fifteen in the country. Again, we've only played four games, but still, it's it's showing that it's just a regular formidable Utah defense. So I expect us to win by a score of like thirty one twenty one or 34-24, 10 point win. End the season on a high note. Um, and uh, be ready for 2021. And this summer, I'm dubbing it the summer of Ty Jordan, baby, because there will be so much hype for that young man coming back, and I'm going to lead that train. Uh, so the summer of Ty Jordan, as we prepare for 2021, use roll out of the year with a win, 31-21. I like it. Nick Rolovich himself being a former quarterback, when I saw him play, when I saw him coach, I saw him play and coach at Hawaii. He actually, I think he played against Ty Detmer. He was, the, he was on that team that beat BYU right after Detmer won the Heisman, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but a couple years back, or last year in the Hawaii Bowl, uh, they were pretty pass-heavy offense. Are they? I mean, that's a Washington State tradition with Leach. Are they still pretty pass-heavy? Yeah. From what I can tell, they, they incorporate the run more than Leach did. Yeah. Uh, but they still they still drop back and pass quite a bit. So All right. should be fun. I'm, I'm just going to enjoy it no matter what happens. Unless we get blown out, then I'll probably be pissed. But yeah. you know, I'm going to enjoy it. Enjoy Ty Jordan one last time this year. Uh, and get ready for next year. So we have a we have a mailbag with lots of questions, don't we? We've got some good questions in the mailbag. This this is part of why I've turned into a madman, a, a statistician today, just getting lost in numbers upon numbers upon numbers. Uh, but we'll we'll get to the numbers at the end. So um, it's all about recruiting. In, in fact, I think everybody's question. No, well, one one non recruiting question. Okay, first question we got from a first time questioner. Matt Nyber oh, at cool. at Matt Nyber. His he's a baby Utes fake season anyways. Nyber N I G B U R. He says, "Would you consider your co-host?" And I think this is, he's asking both of us a three star who would be a five star had they not committed so early to North and Goal, or a four star who is trusting the North and Goal process and well on his way to a top three round podcast draft pick. Wow, that's uh, that's deep. I consider my co-host Benji to be. A solid four-star recruit that is trusting the process and is performing, man. You are the Jalen Johnson of this North and Gold podcast. You are a four-star guy. Came in, came to Utah. The dude literally could have gone anywhere. Oklahoma was his – and USC were his final three. Um, but he came to Utah because he liked what they do with cornerbacks. He trusts the process. And now he's in the running for the NFL Rookie of the Year. So you, my friend – Benji Hadfield are the Jalen Johnson of the North and Gold podcast. Absolutely. You know, I was going to say the same thing. I, I don't think either one of us are Dax Milne. You know, Dax comes in as a walk-on, and he puts in the work. He puts in the effort, and he finds himself on all these watch lists. You know, any graphic you see of leading receivers this year, he's in the top five in just about everything, you know. But he wasn't highly recruited. He just he worked his way there. And the reason neither of us are him is we put almost no effort into this podcast at all. <laughs> like, That's right. This is dude. raw talent with no prep. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I love it. And dude, the thing is, we we you know this, y'all know this. We're we're businessmen, man. We got our business life, our family life. But hey, when the lights come on on this podcast, we're gamers, though, man. That's right. You flip the lights on, and we go, man. We deliver. So yeah, I like it. We we got the talent. It's not the workout. <laughs> yes, we are lazy. We would fit in on Hawaii's football teams years in year in year out. That's that was the knock on them. There, Hawaii seems like the perfect place to recruit a good G five team to go do stuff. And st- there's too many other things to do. It's Hawaii. So, yeah, okay. Next question sure. from a uh, somewhat regular on the program. Here's Johnny. 
Johnny J20, yes. friend of the program. My man, Johnny. Yep. Okay. Good dude. What kind of offer would it take for Kyle or Kalani to take another head coaching gig? And give me the lowest head coaching offer they would take. Like, Kalani would probably leave for USC, but which team is the lowest on the totem pole that could still sway him? Okay. Uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good one. Because um, we're, we're both, both our coaches are in different, you know, stations of life, right? Yeah. Kyle's nearing the end of his career. So for Kyle to leave for another job, I honestly think it would have to be one of the top three or four jobs in the country or the NFL at this point. Yeah. I, we know five years ago he turned down Tennessee, which is an SEC job. Um, so I think Kyle would leave for a Michigan or an Ohio State or an Alabama or one of, one of the like the blue bloods that came or an NFL job. I, I think that's it at this point. Maybe 20 years ago it's different. But right now for Kyle Woodham to leave, I think it's got to be a blue blood that's successful now, not like a blue blood like Nebraska of 20 years ago, blue blood, but like a blue blood now. Alabama, Clemson, USC, they offer him the head job. I think I think he says, all right, let's do it. Let's see if I can what I can do. I think that's it. I would be surprised to see either of these gentlemen leave in the next decade. And and that's a I mean, in in head coaching circles, a decade is a lifetime. Uh, here's why I'm projecting. I don't know Kyle Whittingham personally, and I haven't like read extensively on him, but just knowing alone that we share the same faith that people have seen him in the temple, things like that. I think if Kyle Whittingham leaves, it's for his grandchildren and nobody else. I don't think he leaves to go coach somewhere else. I don't think he would be happy in Michigan. I think he'd face challenges there that he doesn't have now. Yeah, there's advantages too. You you can recruit better at Michigan than you can at Utah, but there's there's challenges and I think it, it's he's old and he's getting older every year and I just don't see that kind of fight in him to say I'm going to take Michigan to the next level or even an NFL team. Yeah. I'm going to go take this right. NFL team to the next level. I I do see him leaving, but I I've even I think I've tweeted at the prophet before that Kyle would make a fantastic mission president, you know? <laughs> I mean, did he did he take did he take your suggestion into account? Oh, I think they're still praying about it. They didn't tell me that, but I think that's a, it's in the works here. I I would okay. I think and really, of course I would love to see him go be a mission president. So he has to he's gonna stop beating my team year in year out. But he's a leader of men. He's got experience with that age range. I mean, he really would be a fantastic mission president. So I think he leaves for church service. I think he leaves for his grandkids. I don't think he leaves to coach anywhere else. I just don't see it happening. Uh, Kalani. Okay, I changed. I changed my answer. You, right. I agree with you. You're right. All right, all right. Uh, Kalani. I, I here's the difference between Lavelle Bronco Kalani. Lavelle hung around forever, built the program into what it is. He was in a great spot. I don't think Lavelle was ever going anywhere else because he he was home. You know, why would you leave home if you don't have to leave home? Uh, Bronco, when asked multiple times, are you the next Lavelle Edwards? He denied it every single time. He said, no, you know, he, it indicated I'm here now. This is where I, I, I'm in a good spot. And we loved Bronco and Bronco, I think loved aspects of that job, but he wasn't in it for the long haul. He never hinted at being in it for the long haul. Kalani does. Kalani, I mean, he doesn't, he's not out there putting that out there saying I am the next Lavelle, but he loves Lavelle. Lavelle was his coach, and for him to have a chance at leaving that kind of a legacy at a school that he loves so much, he's going to do it. So, uh, yeah, maybe he leaves if he has 
amazing season after amazing season after amazing season and someone like Georgia or LSU or Alabama come calling, sure, you know, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't leave for something like that? But for now, the kind of offer that he's going to get won't be so enticing that it'll pull him away from his love of BYU. That, and here's the thing. Down the road, if that happens, great, because that would mean that he would have gotten so much attention that he will get the kind of offer that pulls him away from a place like BYU. For him to get that kind of attention means we've been winning multiple New Year's, New, New Year's, New, New Year's and go. New York City. Hey, at least, at least you're combining them now. <laughs> yeah, I'm mixing <laughs> But it means he's been wildly <laughs> successful. So, yeah, if he goes to some huge school someday, great. That means we've had a great run. And, and so for now, you know, like his name mentioned for the Arizona job, I don't see it. Arizona, I'd, I, sure, it's probably a pay increase. You can probably recruit better from there. But he doesn't love Arizona. He loves BYU. BYU is his place. Like, it's yeah. his home. So I, I don't yeah, see well, it happening anytime soon. While I agree with you in the sense that he is a little bit different and, and loyalty plays a different role when religion's tied to it, it just does. Mm-hmm. It just does, right? Um, so I agree with you. It's a little bit different than, say, another job. Say I don't know, just pulling out of the blue, Houston, you know, um, right. something like that, where you're a Houston alum, and maybe a little different than that. But one thing that's a little bit different now is 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 back in Lavelle's days, it's just not the same as it was then. Like then, you could coach for five and six years, have losing seasons, and there wasn't this pressure to fire the coach. Like the mm-hmm. people, he's the coach, he's not making huge money. It's it's the football coach. He's developing these guys. They're student athletes. Nowadays, when coaches are making literally nine, eight, nine million dollars, and like if you don't freaking win. In, you're fired. It could turn quickly. Like if, if 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 for example next year, your quarterback isn't doesn't pick up. I know heaven forbid doesn't pick up and play just like Zach Wilson did this year. So maybe you know your your quarterback isn't as good, and you go five and seven next year. Then 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 you get the restless fans again. It's like well maybe he's not the guy because maybe he just had that year because because of Zach Wilson and outside of Zach Wilson he's not not a good coach. So you, the the pressure is what I'm saying. To win a lot is a lot higher than it was under Lavelle Edwards, uh, and so maybe that changes his his dynamic where he thinks I got to make the big money as fast as I can because they could get rid of me as fast as they can. I don't know. That's just that's the one the the one caveat I'd throw in on that. I'd be interested to sit in on some of those conversations. Obviously, that'd be fascinating to be in on. BYU is different. For love it or hate it, it's different. I feel like the powers that be at BYU aren't as concerned with wins as losses as anywhere else in the country. Everywhere else in the country, you just got to win. BYU, I think they're okay accepting a certain level of losses as long as it's not to the point that ESPN isn't happy with us. But as long as they're going to put us on national TV and get a lot of viewers, that's what matters to the people who who make decisions at BYU. Do we get exposure from the program? Is it worth the investment we're putting in there? Are we able to, you know, get our name out there? And that, I mean, people dog on exposure. Non-BYU fans are like, oh, you got exposure. Are you happy with that? That really does matter. That's the point of the football program is to get exposure for the university, to get exposure for the church. Otherwise, the church would not be putting money into athletics. Like, we want that to be a missionary tool. It is different in the fact that at other places, like it's like the athletic director, the president, and the big time boosters, you need to be a piece, right? Right. And people are giving you the money. At BYU, when you say the decision makers, it's it's a group of twelve men that have a long names and initials in between their names. Yeah. You know, it's the it's their their focus is the is is growing the gospel and the church. And BYU is just kind of an arm of that to them. So it is whether you fans want to admit it or not, it is different. It is different. 
win, yeah. like you said, winning is not as important. Obviously, perfect world, you want both, right? right Obviously, right. And who's, but but at the same day, the same thing. BYU is not coach is not simply judged by his nine and three record or his five and seven record, right? There's more to it, like you said. And yeah, I mean, I talked about this a little bit last time. Is the more successful you are, the more people hate you to a certain degree. Imagine Alabama was BYU. Imagine Alabama was affiliated with a church that's a little bit quirky. You're not going to look at that and be like, oh, yeah, I just love them because of how good they are at football. People hate Alabama. They're easy to hate, you know? So I don't know. I mean, that's a dream scenario anyway that BYU could attain the kind of levels of success that Alabama has, but that's not necessarily the goal. I prefer peculiar. Peculiar. Versus quirky. We're, we're, we're peculiar. We're not quirky. Yeah, we're both, I guess. In ways that matter to us. We're Like Mitt Romney said, you learn to make decisions in that are unpopular in ways that matter to you. That's, uh, that's yeah, I love that quote this week. That, that came out from the uh, McKay Coppins article that I still haven't read the full article yet, but good stuff in the Atlantic. Um, gotcha. I delved into some more numbers with our final. Our final question is going to probably be its own full episode, but we'll just we'll see how much we can cover here anyway. <laughs> this, do you ever do you remember when you were a kid and people tease you and they're like, "Oh, does your mom know?" Well, I can't. I'll change the joke a little bit. Does your mom know you eat mice? <laughs> and you can, and you can't answer that right because it's based on a false pre- presumption. Like you don't eat mice. So if someone says, "Do your mom know that you eat mice?" How do you answer that? <laughs> so on to, on to the question from cycling you. How long? How long until BYU's substandard recruiting catches up with the with the on field results? <laughs> the coaching and talent now. The, next year, I'll answer this one. It's over. Next year, it catches up. Season done. Yes. The coaching and talent development us. of Utah takes it far. How much does recruiting need to improve for us? He's he's identifying as a Utah fan, so not me, us, for you guys, us, to reach the top. <laughs> okay, I think that's where we start with that because that's the legit question at the end. Okay, you can you can you can address the BYU side of it, obviously. All right, with with taking out the the sarcasm there. <laughs> um, the question is, how much does recruiting and coaching need to improve to reach the top? And just to set where we're at. I mean, we've been ranked, I, again, I don't count this season for reasons we discussed. So six of the last seven seasons, Utah has been ranked in the in the, in the the polls the entire year. We've been competing for the Pac-12 championship. We've won three of the last six, keeping in mind the South championship, keeping in mind the co-title that I love to talk about from 2015. Yeah, yeah. But we've been in, the, we've been in competition literally going into November – Every year for five of the last six years for the South title, we've won two in a row. So we're knocking at the door of the playoffs in the in the being the Pac-12 champions. You can't deny that. That's just a fact. But the question is, how do we take that next step to where we win the Pac-12 championship, competing for the playoff and competing in the playoff? I think we've mentioned it in previous podcasts, but we need. I mean, we you look at you look at the teams that are in the playoffs year after year: Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson. Oklahoma, and then you look at their recruiting rankings, they're all the same teams that are in the top 10 recruiting every year are the same teams that are in the playoffs. So the fact of the matter is people like to make fun of the recruiting rankings and the star numbers. And granted, there's obviously exceptions to every rule. Alex Smith and Eric Weddle probably are two best pros in the last 20 years. We're both two-star recruits. So there are obviously exceptions. However, 
as a whole, recruiting matters and the rankings matter. And Utah does need to take that next step to get to the top. And what is that next step? Well, I talked about Jalen Johnson, four-star recruit, could have gone anywhere, came to Utah. Um, Clark Phillips, we talked about him. Ohio State commit is now at Utah. We got another guy this year, a very similar, a high, high-ranked recruit, Ethan Calvert, uh, linebacker, ranked the number eight linebacker in the country, right? We need to get those guys, but not just one or two a year. We need five or six of those guys a year to be able to compete on a national level. Now, does it go hand-in-hand hand with the coaching? What I mean is, can the coaches that we have now get those guys? Or are we handicapped with what they can get? I don't know the answer to that. But the fact is, if we want to be in the playoffs and win playoff games, we need to up our recruiting to the next level by getting more than just one or two of those Jalen Johnsons, Ethan Calverts, Clark Phillips a year. We need at least three or four of those guys plus the same amount of next level guys to get us there. So can we do that? I don't know. I hope so. But honestly, I fear the way the playoff is set up, it's like the rich are getting richer. And it's it's separating even bigger. Where you start the season, there's literally, honestly, six or seven teams that have a chance to make the playoffs. We've named them. In fact, I saw the stat. It was insane. There are six teams only that have won playoff games. Did you wow. see that? No. I believe there's it, though. only six teams since the playoffs started in 2014. That's yeah. seven years. There's only six teams that have won games. That is crazy. Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. Oregon, LSU, and one other. I can't remember who it is. That's it. Yeah. So in, in, in the seven years of the playoffs, there's been six total teams that have won games. That's not a recipe for other teams being able to rise up. What needs to happen is they need to, and there's guys that are against it, mainly the guys that are in the playoffs every year, but they need to expand the playoffs. So like we've mentioned, every team knows if I start the year and win these X games, I'm in. Not if I start the year, win these games, hope Cincinnati loses, hope Baylor loses, hope Oklahoma loses, hope that Ohio State gets a second loss. Like, that that's a bunch of crap. Well, you need to have a system where you start the year knowing if you win, you're in. And, and I'm angry about here's it. Here's what sucks even more this year. Yes, you hope they all lose, but even if they do, it doesn't freaking matter. Like, the what the yeah. playoff committee has done this year is a slap in the face to sports fans everywhere because you put you, you get the quality loss. You know, you get... Uh, I don't want to. I don't go off on well, this, look, but it's just—it's not fair. Look at, look at Ohio State. They have—they're five and zero, but they're in the playoffs. Yeah. And then what's the knock against the Pac-12? They didn't play enough games. Mm-hmm. We well, have USC, who used to be the top level brand in the country, literally one or two. Three. Now they've slipped the last 10, 15 years because of their coaching and et cetera. But they're five and zero also. So right. why the hell are they not also in the playoffs? If you're going to go by the metric, well, Ohio State's in. Because their brand name, or because they were preconceived yeah. to be this—that's that's BS. Dude, it's it's well, garbage. It's and, garbage. You have subjective criteria, then you're then it then you're no one wins. It sucks. Yeah. Oh, it's 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 corrupt. I hate it. But yeah, I I yep. absolutely. I'd say make it eight teams. You make a guaranteed <laughs> spot for each of the five P five leagues. Leagues. You make two spots available for the top two non P five teams. And that's how I would word it. I don't want it to be two playing spots for G5 leaves. Say two spots for everybody. So every year you get one-fourth, you know, two out of the eight teams are going to come from outside. That's what I would do because that that ups the parity. That ups the fact that we're going to have competitive football across the board. We all benefit when football is more competitive. You have one spot be 
somebody who didn't win their conference. Only one spot. And it's going to come from the SEC every year. I know it will. Every, but, every, you know, they're good. To, they deserve two. If, if we make it eight, that, that's fine. You get two SEC teams. You get a Big Ten, a Big 12, a Pac-12. Who am I forgetting? Someone else. And, and then, ACC, SEC. Yeah, ACC. And then you have two from, from outside the Power Five. And I, I like that system. I think that feels Dude, that would, that would a lot great. more like the NCAA tournament, which everybody loves. Because you know what? Literally the only sport in the world where you can't play your way in is college football. Yeah. The only sport in the world. Every other sport, think about it. You know if you win everything in front of you, you are in. That doesn't happen in college football. Right. And it's so frustrating. It's so irritating. And we've both been on the the short end of the stick before. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. You, 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 were, you were on the short end of the stick most this year. And you look at Utah in 04 and 08, undefeated. They did everything they could. And they didn't get a freaking chance. And and that's the thing is when the playoffs were, were like discussed, it was like, oh, finally, a playoff. Dude, it is a playoff in name only. Yeah. That is it because it does not let everyone have an equal shot. It is a freaking – it's set up to freaking exclude everybody but the main power brokers, and they have it under the label. Playoff. BS. Yeah. Oh, it's stupid. Back to the question at hand. I feel like Utah is doing phenomenally given certain realities. Okay, there. Here's the thing. You grew up a Utah fan because you grew up just in the shadows of that stadium, right? And I think a lot of Utah fans, you can say the same thing about this was the local team. They're doing well the past 20 years. They've been doing well. It's been exciting. When you're raised with that kind of atmosphere, you get behind it. Well, I think it's the same way everywhere. One reality we have to face is that the Phoenix area is four times as big as the Salt Lake area. The Los Angeles area is four times as big as the Phoenix area. So when you look at a team like USC and their reach with their television excitement for the local team is 16 times larger than than University of Utah's, that's 16 times more high schools where the studs are saying, "Man, I'm dreaming of playing for USC or UCLA," you know? And that's just a, that's a huge reach. And so for Utah to overcome something like that, I mean, they've, they've got to do really, really well, and I feel like they are. You know, they're keeping it competitive with USC on the field, at least. You can't do anything more than that. And so are they at their ceiling or near their ceiling? You just never know. I mean, maybe, but... Well, I mean, we ha- I mean, last year's proven, up until this point, that was the most success we've had. So up until this point, that was our ceiling. Right. You know? A chance to compete, to win the Pac-12, that's all we can ask for. You're in the championship game, and if you win that, you're in the playoff. Yeah, that's that's been our ceiling so far, right? I mean, that's just what it is. That's, yeah. that's what our ceiling is so far, right? We're not Alabama or USC where it's like we've got all these national championships, and if we don't make it, it's disappointing. So, yeah, that's that's fair. And, I can get my And head. that's why you never say never. Tuscaloosa, Alabama, they're from Tuscaloosa, right? Yeah. That's not, that's not Los Angeles. That's not some huge metropolis. They've built that into what it is, and it has a national reach. So, yeah, in theory, anybody anywhere can build that kind of a program, but that takes decades and decades and multiple coaches and just tradition. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, it's it's possible, but yeah. it's not going to happen overnight. You've got Alabama from the Bear Bryant, Paul, <laughs> yeah, Paul Bear Bryant days where he was winning national titles in, what was it, the 60s, right, 50s, yeah. 60s? So they've had, yeah, that's how you build it. It's like I, I was talking to a couple of guys on Twitter, like, you can't just say, okay, I'm going to hire this coach. All of a sudden, he's going to start getting five-star guys and then order the net. Dude, it's like 
to 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 make to turn any program into like a national power is like turning a giant barge in the sea like you know those huge like carrier sh- ships that bring they, they have to start making their turn into like the harbors in like california and seattle like 300 miles out right because they've got to gradually turn their way in right so it's 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 a it takes time in years and years and utah i believe at least right now is on a path to eventually be that way. If they keep, if they get, if their next coach continues to win like wit, because we've slowly upped our recruiting. I mean, this year we finished fourth in the PAC 12 in recruiting, which has never happened. When we first started, we were 10 and 11 and then we've worked our way up to six and seven. And then, so last year we're competing for the title with the seventh ranked PAC 12 class that came in four years ago. Right? So mm-hmm. now we've got the fourth ranked class. So hopefully in three or four years, we're winning it and maybe getting better. It's like it's a long process to, yeah, to do that, right? For sure. Yeah. We stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. I, I explained that to somebody who said, how come we've been working on an AIDS vaccine for 40 years and we don't have one? And I was like, look, dude, the coronavirus vaccine researchers had the collective knowledge of every vaccine researcher who's ever come before them to begin this program. And that's, that's the same way with football recruiting. Your success is dependent upon the success of those who have gone before you, and that's, that's how a program is built. And by way, tip of the hat to the freaking vaccine, man. Yeah. To to pump that out in eight six months or whatever it's been is an absolute modern miracle. Props to science and props to researchers that worked their butt off for this. Tip of the hat to you guys. I think our collective nightmare will be over soon. Yes, agreed. Switching there's light at the end of the tunnel. Let's go back to the first part of his question, which was let me let me pull that screen back up. How do you word that? How long until BYU's substandard recruiting catches up with on-the-field results? And here's the thing I've come to realize is people who hate BYU set a very high standard. So the BYU recruiting has fallen short of the standards of those who hate BYU. Uh, meanwhile, the, reality, the, the, the statistics tell a different tale. So... All of my numbers. Before you get into your statistics, let me stop you right there and let before you get. Yes. Because it's the same thing. Um, other teams, you rival teams hold their fans' actions to the standards they don't hold themselves. Oh, to. absolutely. That's just the way it is. Yes. You know, BYU fans love to hold Utah fans to a standard like you class those drunks, blah 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 blah. Uh-huh. And Utah fans, hey, you're not living by your honor code, blah blah blah. Like we love to hold the rival to a standard we can't hold ourselves to. Oh yeah. So anyway, I just want to interject that. The the you. very worst <laughs> one I heard going into this when the Coastal Carolina matchup was likely to happen, but Liberty had not officially canceled yet. Some Utah accounts were saying. Oh, man, I can't believe BYU fans want somebody. They want Liberty to have COVID so that they can play. Can you believe that? <laughs> Come That's on. Good. Get out I of love, here. I love this rivalry. It's so Get stupid sometimes, but it's so funny. It's yeah. So funny. We hey, are, we are evil, despicable people. Okay, um, so here's what the numbers show. Uh, question, and you already know the answer because I texted you. I made graphs. I made four graphs, and so I texted you my graphs. I don't know how close you looked at them yet. Uh, well, I was driving home from picking my kids okay. up at karate. Okay, um, don't so look I, at them I then. glanced at them. Don't look at them. Um, I'm just going to say talent okay. gap. Let's consider four teams. Let's consider BYU, Utah, USC, and Utah State. Maybe not in that order. Let's, let's consider them in this order. USC, Utah, BYU, Utah State University. Where is the biggest and where is the smallest talent gap in that group? Um, I would probably say it's on the end somewhere. So I'd say either the USC Utah or the BYU USU would be my guess, just from for logic for standpoint. the largest. Yes, yes, yes. I'm gonna go with USC and Utah's got the biggest gap because they they're still they're still dude. 
like we said, they're right in the midst of all the talent, and they're getting four- and five-star guys every year. I've brought this up before. They're chock full of it. So I'm going to say USC versus Utah is the biggest gap. So it depends on how you slice it. And I've, I've sliced it four different ways. I've looked at just this year's class. I've looked at just the Kalani Sataki era, which would be the last six years. And I've looked at the last decade because going back more than a decade, I don't know how useful that is. So um, if you look at just this year's... Decade's good because Utah has been in the Pac-12 for a decade. Yeah. So that's a good... All right. So let's look at the last decade. The last decade, you're absolutely right. USC has an average, not necessarily ranking, because here's why I didn't go with recruiting class ranking. Someone pointed out that Utah, I think right now they're at like 27 or something like that, and BYU is off in the 70s. But the score that you get to get you that ranking, the difference between Utah and Alabama, even though that's only 27 spots, is astronomically higher than the difference between BYU and Utah. So I was going with score. All right, I'm ignoring where they stack up. I'm just saying composite score from the website 2247. What do you call that website? 247 recruits. 247. 247. Yeah, and that's 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 the best one to go with. Yeah. I mean, not bias or that's that's the they're the best. So going with their scores of how they score every class. The last decade, USC has an average of 263 points, whatever that means. So to get that's why I looked at four teams was to give us context. Okay. So uh, Utah then, an average of 195, BYU an average of 160, and Utah State an average of 108. So largest gap is between USC and Utah. Smallest gap is from Utah and BYU. BYU is closer to Utah than they are to Utah State. Utah is closer to BYU than they are to USC. And that's kind of how it shakes down. So, um, And that's not – I didn't want to make that – I mean, that is a point I enjoy making. I enjoy making that point um, because that makes me feel good as a BYU fan that, yes, we're trailing Utah – but not by that much. Um, the point I wanted to make was substandard compared to where and when. And what I looked at comparing the 10-year, the 6-year, the 3-year, and the current trend, the current average, BYU is pretty close to a flat line. So the graphs I sent you comparing all four of them, BYU has dipped just a slight amount. Utah has increased just a very slight amount. Uh, Utah State, I'm expecting to correct their course. This year is an outlier. They have a terrible recruiting class this year, and that's likely because the program is a dumpster fire right now. So that's an and they outlier. Have a, and they've barely got a coach. Yeah, they've barely got the yeah. coach. Right? They just, that, uh, that's an outlier that should correct itself. Meanwhile, USC took a dip in, uh, I believe it was 2017. Uh, no, 20. 20 just last year their recruiting class dropped to 171 which was worse than a couple well worse than one of BYU's classes in the past 10 years so yeah they had a terrible year last year yeah last year was terrible for them and that's kind of the one outlier for them this year they're doing a lot better with that and I expect them to correct their course as well um so when you kind of average these things out I mean the, the people are where they are I don't I'm not worried about BYU's eventual lack of success ever showing up on the field because they're consistent. They're very consistent. Uh, They've got a lot of exciting guys this year. That used to be the knock. I think it was just four or five years ago. Utah fans would say, okay, you're excited about this recruit. How many P5 offers did he have? And you take a closer look and be like, oh, he didn't. He didn't have any. Well, we're landing a lot of guys this year that could have gone and played for a number of great P5 teams. And so... there's no reason to be down about BYU recruiting. Yes, it, it trails behind Utah's, but it always has. So I, I'm not worried. Yeah, I mean, it always has is in, in, in this last 10 years, like you said, because 
80s and 70s doesn't matter anymore. Right. It doesn't matter. Well, um, I don't know how so far back know, this website goes. I think we only have good data for maybe 10, 12, 15. Yeah, recruit, mean, it's, recruiting's it's a, more of a last 20-year type of yeah. thing. Like, I remember, and our friend Ute Believer on Twitter said this. He remembers, and I remember too, when you when I'd wake up and I'd go get the Desert News or the Trib off my driveway, and I'd flip over the sports page, and there'd be a little blurb in like the fourth or fifth page of who Utah signed, where their high school was, and like a sentence or two about each player. That's it. That's all you know. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Nowadays, there's there's guys that are full time employed to run these websites, man. So it's recruiting is a big deal. Anyway, so um, you know, it's it's uh, you look at the numbers. Yes, the gap between Utah and USC is astronomical. But I've said that all along. Like, right. I've said when USC loses a quarterback to injury, they plug in their next five star guy. They're just they're just the guys that do that. Um, they're just they just recruit guys. But I guess it, it comes down to is how does this manifest on the field, right? You say the gap's right. not that large. And, you know, based on these numbers, comparing Utah versus BYU or Utah versus USC and Utah versus BYU, yes, it's a bigger gap between those two. Um, but it, the way it's manifested anyway is on the field, it's been a pretty big gap. NFL draft picks has been a pretty big gap these last 10 years. So, I don't know. I guess it, I guess what matters to one doesn't – well, I don't know what I'm trying to say. No, it no, it matter matters. Believe me, I, I would love to have NFL guys left and right like crazy. I mean, I yeah, I'm not going to say BYU is better than they are. Uh, what I'm saying though is is it's it's been consistent and uh, you know in terms of talent gap and how big it is. This is why BYU fans take comfort in knowing that there is a USC because every argument that Utah makes about why we are just flat out better than BYU and always will be. USC can make the same argument against Utah. And on-the-field results aren't like that. Utah, through coaching, can mitigate that talent gap. I believe BYU, through coaching, can mitigate the talent gap between BYU and Utah. I mean, you can't... You can't have it both ways. You got to be talking out both sides of your mouth, saying yeah. BYU no, I, will never be this, admit, and dude, we can beat USC. You know, it's. I freely admit we are nowhere near the level of USC in terms of prestige, in terms of history, in terms of the talent we can bring in. I fully admit that, and you know what? The only reason it's close now, honestly, is because USC has kind of bungled their last few coaching hires. If USC had Urban Meyer on their on their sidelines right now, it would be, in my opinion, a Alabama situation where they are top one or two going to the playoffs every year. I fully admit that. It's just I understand. I can't remember which philosopher said this. It was Socrates or Plato, but he said, know thyself, right? Yeah. I know who Utah is. Utah is a tier two or maybe even tier three program nationally who punches above their weight class because they've got a solid head coach who's been there for a long time, who's put a system in place. Looking just on paper, Utah is nowhere in the world or nowhere in the realm of USC. Shouldn't be, right? Right. Based on their history, based on their location, based on, like you mentioned, the demographics of where they are, based on the talent they can get. I get that. Utah is not on the same page as USC. And the only reason it's close now, and USC still, even even this last decade with USC's having crappy coaches with Kiffin, Sarkeesian, and, and Helton, maybe not crappy, but not great, it's still, USC still got the lead in like six to three or, or something like that in the series against us. So it's, we're, we're keeping it close. The games are close, but they've still got the edge. Yeah. So if they ever get an Urban Meyer or a Chris Peterson or, or a Nick Saban disciple, someone, a Nick Saban-esque guy, Dude, it's over. In my yeah. opinion, USC will be go back to being Alabama. So I know where we're at. I, I'm self-aware of who Utah is. And that's why when people like my dear friend, DGod23, bless his heart, is always saying, get rid of wit, I always cringe because it's like, dude, you got to be careful because 
look you you could look at Colorado. Dude, in the 90s, they won a national championship and had a Heisman guy, right? Heisman winner. Yeah. Now look at them. They're perpetually rebuilding every year. It's like, do you want to take that risk to turn into them by getting rid of Wit? I don't, personally. So. That's, and that was a long, a long rambling statement to say, oh, I know who we are compared to USC. <laughs> Here's another graph I sent you, and I will make all of these graphs available on Twitter.com. That's our website. Um, check out at North and Goal. Uh, but I plotted, uh, I threw in... Arizona State, Boise State, and oh no, I didn't. I didn't have room for Colorado. I had to cut them. Um, but anyway, in recruiting, Utah has been consistently better than Colorado, uh, and consistently trailing Arizona State right up until this class, the 2021 class. Uh, Utah currently is recruiting better than Arizona State, but I mean they're they're right there in the middle. Where yeah, I, you uh, you have a a, few, a really bad few years and suddenly you're not going to be recruiting as well. You could just as easily start moving the other direction. Yeah. I, I look at, I look at um, this year where this is our best class. We've had since I'm in the PAC 12 top four in the league um, and 27th or eighth nationally. Um, I look at that and I realize, like you said, then I glance over at Oregon who's just crushing it. It's like the arms race is incredible. They're top yeah. five or six class. They've got tons of dudes and they poach the best players out of the state of Utah too. So mm-hmm. like while it's nice to say, man, we've been recruiting well, I honestly, I think personally under the circumstances now, under the coaching now, I think this is our, this is our ceiling with recruiting. I don't think we can ever go to go higher than fourth in the pac 12. We may have a year where, where we get a couple big dudes and maybe hop up to third, but USC is always going to out recruit us except for anomalies like last year. Oregon with their money and their their flash, they're always going to recruit us, and so that leaves Washington and Arizona State. That's kind of our world. Washington's usually going to out recruit us because they're they're I mean they're just a bigger program nationally than we are. So I think this is this is kind of the peak with recruiting, which I'm okay with because, mm-hmm. like I said last year, we're in the Pac-12 title game with classes that were sixth and seventh in the Pac-12. Yeah, if we're getting classes that are third and fourth, then I think we can win the league with this coaching. And I'm okay with it. I I know we're never going to be Alabama or USC. We're never going to be in the playoffs every year, winning a national championship every few years. I know that. But if we can compete and win the Pac-12 once every four, five, six, seven years, I'm okay with that, actually. Yep. Again, know thyself, brother. <laughs> so here's one thing I'm really excited about. The rumors swirling this week, and I really I want this to happen. As a fan of good football and exciting football, I really would love to see Ken Neomatulolo end up in Tucson at the University of Arizona. Arizona needs it. They are struggling there in a tailspin. And how sweet would it be to see the triple option with P5 speed and P5 bodies and have that compete in in the Pac-12 South? I mean, I know you don't want that because you're in the Pac-12 South. I would love to see Arizona rise to prominence under that kind of a – it's innovation. I've been preaching innovation all along. You look at you look at Georgia Tech. They did it for a decade and a half in the ACC the, the, with Paul Jones on the triple option, and they had some good teams. Yeah. Um, the thing is, the funny thing about Niamatulolo is he likely was going to be the coach at Arizona last time the job came open. Uh-huh. But Khalil Tate, their star quarterback, who actually flamed out and turned into nothing, but he had had a brilliant freshman year where he was running for 300 yards a game as a quarterback, running. Anyway, uh, Rich Rod gets fired, and the rumor is that Lou Niamatulolo is going to be named the coach. And Khalil Tate tweets, 
I don't want to be no option quarterback, SMH. And then like, everyone freaked out. Oh my gosh, if we hire this guy, we're going to lose Khalil Tate, who mm-hmm. at the time were like, he's a future Heisman guy. So <laughs> they went with Kevin Sumlin, who was just a retread, and he has sucked terribly. And it almost it came to bite him, man. They could have had possibly... Dude, and the Khalil Tate under that system would have dominated. Oh, absolutely. Like, and, and, and he just totally screwed him over. Now look at him. They lost 12 games in a row, dude. Sumlin sucks, too. The stories I've heard about how he, he does, talks to yeah. players and people, I mean, nobody likes him. He's, just, I mean, sure, he's a child of God. He's my brother. I feel bad about saying bad things about him, but he is not a good coach. And uh, players don't like playing for him. And, man, the culture change that someone like Neo Matilolo would take to Arizona would be amazing. And, then, yeah, that's the stupidest thing is Khalil Tate, who wasn't that great of a passer but had amazing speed, you want the option. That's your meal ticket. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he definitely screwed that up, that's for sure. Yeah. And, dude, look how far back it set their program. Yeah. I mean, they are... they are, Dude, it wasn't long ago. I mean, the 90s, when we were growing up, they were like a pretty respected program. They yeah. had the, the Desert Swarm defense, you know, with Teddy Bruschi. And they had some top five, top ten teams. They won the Pac-12 a couple times. So it wasn't – growing up, to me, they were a pretty good program. But, dude, they the last the last three years, they have just tanked. And this year, they're terrible. Which brings me back to it's unfortunate that the schedule happened the way it happened because we were set to open with Arizona. And I wonder how different this season would have been for mm-hmm. us if we had opened with Arizona with our starting quarterback – he probably doesn't get injured. We dominate. We start out one and zero, and then who knows at that point, dude? There, yeah. there may have been so much energy momentum we could have. I don't know because we we've improved. We've gotten better. Uh, the season could have been so much different if we had, if we had uh, if we'd started out with Arizona. Yeah. Well, we'll find out next year. Although we no, will next year, you don't start out with Arizona. But but yeah, we start out with Weber State, dude. And I'm, I was thinking about this. football. I cannot wait to open up against Weber State with a packed house. In our brand new renovated stadium that's adding 8,000 people and just have that south end zone enclosed and just be there with everybody. Just I'm going to hug everybody. I sit on the aisle, <laughs> my, my my season tickets. I'm not letting anyone buy without a hug. I've missed them. you got to kiss strangers on the mouth everybody. because you can. Yeah. It is safe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, it'll be great. Anyway, well, we've been going nice. for almost... <laughs> Almost two hours. Yeah, it so, kind of uh, feels like we have. Do you know what's funny? We could do a scatter plot here as long as I'm into graph making. We've, we've been, the longer our episodes get, the less, the fewer people listen. And that's okay because, you know, what? this is primarily uh, just our, this is our conversation, right? This is how we catch up. So Yeah, this is for us. This is fun. If you've made it this long in this double <laughs> bonus episode, we appreciate you. Uh, send us your Ven- questions. Give me your, your Venmo. I'll send you a money. Yeah, we I'll will pay you. We will reimburse you for your time. <laughs> yeah. uh, shout out to Idolisle. Check this out. Brigham City. Superlatively fine candies. I've got Idolisle. I always ate these growing up. They're like the, I think their real name is like the almond cream toffee or something like that. We always called oh, them nutballs. Ever since I was a little boy, it's like, hey, nutballs. So I've got some nutballs <laughs> my parents sent me from home, and this this is nice. the the taste of Brigham City. I love it. Shout out to them, and uh, I've got no shout outs other than than our listeners. We hope you all have a merry Christmas, and you've enjoyed this football season. We appreciate you listening, especially if you're two hours in and you're still listening. That's right, go Cougs, go Utes. <laughs>